The Talking Point on SAFM. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Welcome to the second hour of uh, the Talking Point here on SAFM. My name is Komoto KG Mweketi. We're leading the conversation. Join anytime on our studio number 086-000-2032 and the SMS line 41391. That SMS comes to you at 150. The WhatsApp line 061-410-4107. We're on Twitter. We are at SAFM Radio and hashtag SAFM Talking Point. So in our series, Building Up to Freedom Day, we're turning our focus today on the role of uh, black consciousness in the fight for freedom and liberation. One of our guests this morning, Gwen Gwen Gomo, uh, has written a very interesting piece that disputes the terms uh, that I use today, like the term anti-apartheid activist when describing those who are involved in the fight for freedom, basically pointing out there's an interesting fact that our fighters, Africans, uh, didn't start actually in 1948. It started way back in 1652, uh, and the Native Lands Act was before apartheid. There's a clip. Uh, We're going to play that clip, but I want to tell you that I'm going to have a conversation around black consciousness and uh, the role it played and the role it should still be playing today with Nguyen Gomo, the former national organizer of the Black People's Convention. He was also a political prisoner and a member of the 1970s group of activists. And then also another guest is Professor Seth Cooper, president of the Pan-African Psychology Union. He's also a former leader of the Black Consciousness Movement, a political prisoner and a member of the same 70s group of activists. Both guests uh, were close to Bigo. In fact, I dare say they were friends of Bigo. So we're going to have this conversation with them. But let's reflect, right, on the kinds of things Bigo was saying, how Bigo describes things. Now, when I came to university, which was sometime in 1966, in my own analysis and that of my friends, there was some kind of anomaly in this situation where whites were in fact the main participants in our oppression and at the same time the main participants uh, in the opposition to that oppression. It implied, therefore, that at no stage in this country were blacks uh, throwing in their lot in the shift of political opinion, uh, the arena was totally controlled by whites in what we called uh, totality of white power at the time. So we argued that uh, any uh, changes which are to come can only come as a result of a program worked out by black people. And for black people to be able to work out a program, they need to defeat the one main element in politics which was working against them and this was a psychological feeling of inferiority which was deliberately cultivated by the system so equally too the whites in order to be able to listen to blacks needed to defeat the one problem which they had which was one uh, uh, superiority now the only way to come about this of course was to look anew at the black man in terms of what it is in him that is uh, lending him to denigration so easily. 
That is uh, the voice of Stephen Bantubigo. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that he talks about there is the issue we still grapple with today, even of white supremacy. But, I mean, you know, let's uh, introduce our guests again uh, and have a conversation around the role of black consciousness in the fight for freedom and, you know, the role that black consciousness should still be playing for us today. As I said, Nguyen Komo is a former national organizer of the Black People's Convention. He's a political prisoner, member of the 70s group of activists. Professor Seth Scooper is president of the Pan-African Psychology Union. He also is a former leader of the Black Consciousness Movement, political prisoner and member of the 70s, 70s group of activists. Good morning to the both of you. Your reflections first or your memories as you hear the voice of uh, Biko there. Uh, Mr. Nkomo, let's start with you. Good morning to you, uh, KG, and uh, the listeners. Uh, strange enough, uh, the first thing that came to mind when I heard this uh, golden voice was the last things he said when we were on trial and he was our chief witness for the defense. Uh, when he opened the eyes, not only uh, of the presiding officer then, uh, Judge Boshoff, if I remember very well, but the eyes of the world to the essence of what the black consciousness philosophy entailed. You know, people, or let me say naysayers, were trying to paint a picture of a nihilistic philosophy, destructive philosophy. Uh, people were telling us black is negative, the black apple, the black sheep. Uh, calling the cattle black and all of those things. And how do you call yourself black? But what they did not understand was in the minds of men like Steve Bossett Cooper, who I must also say were older than I was, uh, when Sasso and uh, the movement started, I was probably uh, just about getting into my matric, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, when, when, when the word came out, it was because we had to begin to project ourselves in a positive manner. We were called non-Europeans, non-whites, and non-things. And the world deliberately was staying away from the truth. But racism was a white thing. And they didn't like the fact that you will now have black solidarity that stands directly in opposition to whiteness and white privilege. But today, we're proud to call ourselves black. Today, even those that were within the liberal struggle who were telling us, boys, this is not a positive term, are also proud to be called that because the people rallied around the truth of our existential experience. Lastly, we were divided into Africans I don't want to use the other words that they were using, Indians and so-called colors. It was a deliberate attempt to make sure that they keep us in perpetual slavery and domination over us. Because as long as we saw ourselves as three different groups, we will not be able to stand together. And what Black Christians did was to say these are artificial striations created by the oppressor to make sure that we all stand together. 
May I pause there? Yes, you definitely can. And thank you very much. Uh, you know, uh, Mr. Co- uh, Mr. Cooper, uh, uh, Prof, sorry. Prof, good morning. Prof Seth Cooper. <laughs> I apologize, Prof. <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's okay. That's okay. Good morning. Uh, and, and your <laughs> reflections on, 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 on hearing your, you know, your, your late comrade, uh, on hearing the sound of his voice and on him putting uh, very blatantly the issue of the fact that, uh, you know, sometimes people are overlooking the fact that uh, black consciousness is, is, is necessary, yet black consciousness in no way uh, minimizes anybody. And yet today also, we still deal with the issues of white supremacy, which he spoke about way back then. Good morning, Prof. Good morning to you, KG. Good morning to my fellow brothers in Kwenkwe, and uh, good morning to uh, FM listeners. I was really, uh, I, I can't say anything about hearing Steve's voice. I mean, it, uh, it was so straightforward, unassuming, but poignant and powerful. This was the kind of uh, leader Biko was. And indeed, those of his ilk at that period, the late 1960s, 68, 69, into the early 70s, these young men and women were, we were late teenagers, early 20s. And we conceptualized this approach to our demeaning of our humanity. Hmm. And as Nkwenkwe points out, you know, you can go into the dictionary and look at the word black, and it's it, and the English and other languages always look at it as something bad. Mm. And so we we deliberately at that time, the race classification system was non-European, and then it moved to non-white. Mm-hmm. And firstly, that the white claimed heritage from Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and underneath that, there was the uh, appropriation of the term African by Afrikaners from the time of the Great Trek, mm-hmm. you know, opposing uh, the, the, dec- uh, the, the stopping of slavery in Britain and so on, and therefore claimed the term. African. So there could be no other African but the Afrikaner. And even the language Afrikaans only became a language in its own right in the late 60s, early 70s. Until then, it was Afrikaans and near their date. Uh, you know, it was uh, that kind of approach. And subsequently, the claim of Afrikaans emerges. So Our history and its recent history does not remember all those things. So you find that the non-whites were the three groups that Nguyenkwe pointed out. But African, previously in the colonial time, was called native. And it's an appropriate term if you look at the natives, the aborigines, uh, the uh, autochthonous people of the land. But it was meant to be a diminutive term, 
as opposed to the European mm. who claim that right in our country. And so at that time it was Bantu. The word Bantu was used, mm -hmm. you know. And with the rise of black consciousness, the apartheid system began to get confused. The liberal media and uh, apartheid media also began to oppose this coming together of black people, mm. uh, asserting themselves, affirming ourselves as one in the struggle against oppression and exploitation. And of course, that system was called apartheid. But it goes deeper than that to the colonial period. So ours was not merely, and Nkwekwe is absolutely right. Mm. We were not anti-apartheid activists. We opposed that system but went deeper into the colonization. So Nkwekwe points to the advent of Van Riebeck in 1652. It goes a little further than that uh, in, in reality because the Portuguese tried to, uh, well, the first Europe, known European, I think was Diaz, uh, who rounded the Cape of Good Hope, as it was called, 1488. And then um, he, he, he made a few trips. He died on his second or third trip around 1500 mm. uh, in the Cape. But the local native population, the Horingwai, opposed it. And if they didn't oppose Diaz and subsequently Vasco da Gama, we wouldn't be speaking English now, we'd be speaking Portuguese. They may not have, be, they may not have landed in Mozambique and found it more friendly. So these are some of the accidents of history but they're not implacable given that we as an emerging country and democracy should um, be stuck with. And indeed, in our system now, we've taken the definitions of the past and brought them into the current. In the current, uh, it, you know, the, the description of black in the interim constitution was, was one that was fairly accurate. It said all those who uh, were not given the national vote, mm. including African-colored uh, Indian, that kind of uh, yes, nomenclature. Yes. Mm. But subsequently, you find it nowhere in the Constitution. You find it in, I think it is, uh, one or two ancillary acts, like, uh, you know, some of the labor relations, and I think it is the black DE. Uh, kinds of acts. And people now look at a race-based definition of UKG and you, Nkwerkwe, saying you are black, mm. but I am not. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and the important thing to recognize is that our advent on the scene was at a time when Bantustanization was emerging. Mm -hmm. This ethnicity of, uh, you know, Baputa Tswana, Kwazulu, Kwakwa, Venda, etc. Suskai, Transkai, all yeah, of them, yeah. All those were emerging. But we opposed that. We said that was playing with a toy telephone to Pretoria. Mm. It was not real freedom. However, now we've got nine provinces, and most of them are broken down into ethnicities. And ethnic rule is 
all over. You know, we describe ourselves first as a language or some other ethnicity. Yes. And then we describe ourselves also uh, by religion. Uh, we don't describe ourselves as a people. Hmm. And we are one of the few countries in the world. I think there's only three left in the world, all in Africa, called by a geographic name. Hmm. South Africa, which comes in in 1910, before that. And, and that was after the Anglo-Boer War, which has been renamed by the Afrikaner historians, appropriately, I think, for them. But at the same time, excluding everybody who was not white yeah. from participation in the political life. So all those factors tend to get ignored. We now look at, for instance, in December, when the ANC National Executive Committee was elected. Mm -hmm. I, I'm on various chat groups, and people were saying, this is not representative of our uh, population. Mm. And I, I, I retorted in one, saying, what do you want? Three whites, three and a half colored, one and a third <laughs> Indian. <laughs> Will that make it representative? Mm. I, and you see, it misses the point about mm. can Nkwemkwe represent me? And I think he can adequately represent me, perhaps more than I can represent myself. Why should it be race-based? So the entire panoply and thinking of race is in our DNA almost when it's so unnatural. When and it's so unnatural. Still, and whites still remain at the top of the heap. But when you see when that black child is killed, like the two kids were mauled in Soweto, Soweto last week, week yeah. and there's an outpouring of grief, and it just gets off the headline. But if it was a white child that that happened to, it would be constantly on... Our airways on the news cycle, it wouldn't stop. It will never stop. Yeah. So even when we are, are black persons, we tend to bend over backwards to accommodate whites because we think that somehow they be epitome of perfection. If I'm not white, I'm not right. There, there's a term that the there's a term that gets used uh, that's that gets banded about. Uh, so w would you say would you say then if I use that term uh, mm -hmm. that white supremacy still permeates the narrative of our existence? Not even just the narrative the, the it drives the dynamics of our lives today, even in a time that we are quote unquote uh, free. Well, look at the rendezvous victory in April 1994, with the exception of a handful of persons on that cabinet, we had half human beings. They still looked at whites in that way. And subsequent leadership in this country has continued to deify whiteness. Then in, you know, in the last few years, very steadily, and we saw it during the COVID pandemic. Mm. Raw whiteness got expressed all over. Mm. You get groups that are race-based. Like, I don't, I don't want to give them more prominence. Afriforum is a race-based group. Yeah. And we call them civil society. Yeah. They're an ultra-right-wing uh, grouping that covers itself in decent plumage and their spokespersons 
accept our constitution because they cannot but accept that. But really, they don't think UKG ought to be where you are because they see KG Moiketsu as standing in the way of myself who should have been there and should have ruled the SABC as a state broadcaster, you know? So it's those kinds of things that still lie there, and I dare say racism is alive and well, and in our body politic, in our socialization, in all that we do in the economic sector, and who is at the bottom of the heap? 60% of mainly African people are out of the economic, social, and other system that has been brought about by democratic gains. Prof, let so, me ask you to pause. I want to go yeah. to a uh, break and, and then I want to bring uh, Mr. Nkomo onto the conversation. Mr. Nkomo, by the way, you write beautifully. I spent uh, my Sunday reading um, the, the material that was sent. You know, the there's a part where you tackle, tackle um, you know, the, the, the reason why uh, we even use the term anti-apartheid activists. I want to come back from the news headlines and talk about why you you so strongly feel that there are no real anti-apartheid activists. In fact, the ones that you deem anti-apartheid activists, you say are white and perhaps were helping to alleviate uh, apartheid. But other than that, you know, all of the others you deem heroes and you are uh, lamenting that they get called anti-apartheid activists. And we'll, I'll read a piece from uh, your writing when I come back. And then we deal with why you say they shouldn't even be called anti-apartheid activists activists. We're talking black consciousness and the role of black consciousness in the fight for freedom and its relevance still today as we head towards Freedom Day on the 27th on Thursday. It's 10.31 and Musa is standing by with the news headlines. SAFM values your views. Be an active citizen. Welcome back. We're talking the role of black consciousness in uh, modern day South Africa and in the quest for freedom with Nguyen Gomo, who is a former organizer of the Black People's Convention, a political prisoner and a member of the 70s group of activists and a friend of Biko's with also Professor Seth Cooper, the president of the Pan-African Psychology Union, also former leader of the black consciousness movement, political prisoner himself and a member of the 70s group of activists. He too, a friend of of because so you write, Mr. Nguengue, and I quote you. Uh, also, uh, you write your, your book to Strini. You'll tell me who Strini is, but there's a, 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 a um, um, what do you call it? a paragraph I want to quote to you uh, to precede my question. So, here, and I quote Strini, as we pen this postscript, you guys are no longer heroes. Why, how, and when it was decreed, I know not. I wake up almost daily to news broadcasts telling the country that Walter Sisulu, Mangaliso, Robert Sobukwe, and Steve Bigo are anti-apartheid activists. I read with sickening regularity about anti-apartheid activists who were in the ANC, PSC, Abdusa, and BCM. The media seems to be successfully rubbishing our heroes and turning them into anti-apartheid activists. Close quote. Mr. Ngomo. Yep. What's your problem with them, your Bikos, your Sisulus, your Mandelas, yourself being called an anti-apartheid activist? Because 
they followed in the footsteps of Mr. Kukuni the first, or Sandile, Onega, and other heroes before who fought the invasion of our country. When Mother Africa was prostrate and raped by these foreigners, men and women in Africa stood up. And when Steve Beagle, the new start with Steve, well, let me start with Sisulu, uh, Walter Sisulu, Robert Chobukle, Steve Beagle, and a host of others took up the cudgels. It was not a new invention. Bambata had just done it before the launch of ANC. And they, they, they call it the rebellion. It was not a rebellion. It was a revolt. It was a fight. And those are heroes. We are being shown of heroes. They are tending to anti-apartheid activists, my God. Apartheid was created by the stupid Nationalist Party. In 48. 48. Mm-hmm. So now you're telling me that we must do away with almost 300 years of the history of the struggle and then start taking it to 1948. But let me say this. It is actually a deliberate attempt to clean and cleanse those, as such explained, starting with, 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 with the Portuguese, but, but those who made it their job to subjugate us in our own country, in our own continent, who made it their problem to take everything that we had and turn us into minions and turn us into slaves. Today, they can sit comfortably wherever they are and say, you see, the problem was apartheid. But what were anti-apartheid activists? I'm not saying they didn't exist. They were in London and other cities, not in this country. They sat there, they organized protest march and carried placards. They were not subject to what my dad what your dad, granddad, grandmother had to live with in this country on a day-to-day basis. And yet, and yet, Mr. Ngomo, here we are, here we are saying we're celebrating, and I say celebrating in invo- inverted commas, here we are saying we're celebrating the 29th year of freedom on Thursday. Is that what we should be saying, knowing how black people live in this country today? Uh, freedom, free, free, freedom is is actually uh, like a mirror. Uh, when you know you're good, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say thumbs up. When you know you're not good, you look at yourself in the mirror and hopefully you say, "I'm going to do something about myself." Mm, mm. Now, now we look at the mirror and we can see we we, we are misshapen. Instead of saying, "I'm going to do something about myself," I go thumbs up. This is the problem that we now have in the country. And, and, and I've got to be saying, uh, being there, that we are responsible for it. We, we were young. Bomampila, Botebra, Winnie Mandel, a host of other women, Albertina, were older. We were young. Yeah. We raised our voices against a rapid, racist, murderous system. Yeah. That was going to kill us, arrest us, imprison us. But we were brave because we stood for the truth. Today, we speak in harsh tones into our shed sleeves because it is now us who are messing up the country. 
Yeah. That the lives of the heroes was given for. Okay, Mr. Nkomo and Mr. Uh, I mean, and Professor Cooper, I want to you both to to pause. One of our uh, our our listeners, uh, because we do ask our listeners to join the conversation, uh, sent a voice note, right? Uh, that uh, you know that talks about how we are decrying uh, the issues of uh, blackness today, and yet here we are, even having this very conversation, for example, in the English language. And the question I want to ask, we'll play that voice note when we come from break. What is the role of indigenous languages in black consciousness after democracy? Are we ourselves stripping away the work of this ideological praxis by addressing people in English, by even having this conversation in English in this moment? And Romeo and Kezeren, I'll also allow you to ask my two guests a question. And Vuiso and Paktown North, I'll allow you also uh, the, 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 the space to ask your question. But think about the issue of language. Uh, this is both for my guests. And then you can respond to me when we come back from break. We're reflecting on the role of black consciousness in the, fl- in the fight for freedom in South Africa. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. Welcome back. 1041. We're talking black consciousness in the fight for freedom to my two callers. Please be brief and to the point when you get through, because there's a lot of people who want to join the conversation and there's voice notes I want to play. And then I also ask my guests, my two guests around the issue of indigenous languages in black consciousness, a post democracy. So please, as you get through, make your point quickly and succinctly. We start with you, Romeo and Kezaren. Uh, good morning, KJ, and uh, also the two guests. Uh, how are you, all of you? Uh, let me quickly ask you my question. The idea of forming the Black Consciousness Movement, should we say today, should we achieve what um, those um, uh, people who formed, uh, like Steve uh, Biko and others, who formed that uh, organization? Should we say we achieved uh, what they wanted us to achieve, or else we are still not yet achieving what they wanted to see us okay. as black uh, people in terms of our indigenous languages? Okay, I've got I've got your question, Romeo. Thank you. Vuiso and Paktown North, your question. Uh, yeah, a question and a remark uh, uh, together, uh, Homozo. Uh, thanks to Tate, uh, Dr. Cooper, and Tatunkwenkwenkom. My, my predicament is that uh, they are not on the ground because many people know how Bigo died, but they don't understand what story, they don't know what Bigo stood for. And they are not doing the, this, uh, this spade work on the ground to revive that and explain to the people what Bigo stood for. Um, and also, my problem is this English. But um, for people who contributed into the struggle, they didn't have chance to go to school. But we hear the professors, and whoever the radio and, 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 and the media personalities are promoting this discrimination, okay. justice, and yeah. 
Thank you. So, you know, uh, those two questions, and any one of you can take it, did we achieve ultimately what Biko intended? And are you, as black conscious activists, and I use that activist part uh, in inverted commas, Mr. Nkomo, uh, are you still doing, uh, you know, the work on the ground to reconscientize today as we're having this conversation and ultimately also the, 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 the language issue? What is the role of indigenous languages in black consciousness post-democracy? Here we are talking this important subject on an English medium radio station in English. Are we stripping away the work of this ideological praxis by addressing people in the English language? Let's start with you, Prof. Uh, I would say no to all those questions uh, because we were overwhelmed by the banning of the organizations in 1978, which allowed the neoliberal uh, and I'm using that in terms of uh, revolution, not in terms of economics. The neoliberal tendencies to emerge in our society, and that's the issue that we have to confront now. That whole panoply of apartheid, rather than look deeper into how the colonial project has entrenched itself in the society. Mm. Now, I must acknowledge uh, right out that Yes, we are on an English language station, but, uh, and I know I listen to the station mostly of all the stations in the country, uh, but I know that the station allows persons to talk in uh, whatever language they're comfortable in, and uh, the responses, of course, have to come from us who are the talking heads. And I must uh, acknowledge that whatever uh, Isuzulu and Koza I have known has diminished phenomenally, because if you don't use it, you, you lose it. Mm. But that should not preclude us from engaging in the essence of what it is to be black and to reclaim that humanity, that sense of identity and agency that black consciousness is about. I, I'm, I'm, I'm unafraid to say I've been socialized by uh, Anglo-Saxon, uh, Protestant, and other um, knowledge systems, but at the same time, uh, without any apology, mm. recognize that we have adopted slavery systems, if you like. Mm. And to get out of that, we need to remove ourselves from the comfort zone. Coming to the... Uh, Essential question, are we on the ground? No, Gwe uh, Gwe and I uh, have reached a golden age of uh, big zeros and we, we use whatever platforms uh, we are invited to to do that. The others who are on, in the trenches are attempting to do whatever they can in, in, on the ground in their own form using whatever mechanisms, uh, mechanisms are available to them. But I would dare say the prevailing narrative is one that constantly reiterates and reinforces the colonial ethic in the current. So while we may think we have achieved freedom, our minds are still entrapped by the past mm. and everything about us is still waiting to be unburdened, 
We are a wounded nation. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, let me retract that. We're not a nation. We're struggling to become a nation. Mm-hmm. We are uh, contesting in different languages, in different religions, in different sectarian positions within even the same organizations. Nearly all of them uh, that are in our public space are driven by factionalism. So in that, we need to be able to look at what, uh, you know, Mandela uh, reflected that Biko was responsible for a self-fire that sucked this country. Mm -hmm. Uh, The current president said that he was humble, a revolutionary who fiercely rejected the false hierarchy of races. He spoke with the burning eloquence of the essential humanity of all people. But all around us, we don't see that. Mm. Even this, even this president, who was arrested in on the 25th of September 1974, held in prison for nine to ten months, uh, and he did not become a witness against us. He has lost his essence of what it is to be black yeah. and to reflect that sure. as a leader, our leader at the highest pinnacle of the society. He is buffeted by various people who would want him to remain a non-European, a non-white, a non-thing, a nothing when we're on the southern tip of Africa. I think we need to firstly claim our Africanness and then look beyond that at other issues. Okay. Speaking of blackness, uh, because I think uh, we've labored the point uh, now, um, uh, Mr. Ngomo. So maybe now, let me play a clip of uh, Biko uh, reflecting on the issue of blackness, and then you can come in and, you know, tell me what is blackness and how we should retain the value of black consciousness in uh, democ- in uh, free post-freedom South Africa. Here's what Biko, uh, I think it's... It's actually Denzel Washington who played Steve Biko in the movie Cry Freedom. And in the scene, uh, it was the court scene where he was responding to a question from the judge. But let's hear how Denzel Washington, the actor, interprets Biko. My Lord, blacks are not unaware of the hardships they endure or what the government is doing to them. We want them to stop accepting these hardships, to confront them. People must not just give in to the hardships of life. They must find a way, even in this environment, to to develop hope. Hope for themselves, hope for this country. Now, I think that is what black consciousness is all about. Now, without any reference to the white man, to try and build up a sense of our own humanity, our legitimate place in the world. But why do you use a phrase like, black is beautiful? Because black is commonly associated with negatives. The black market, the black sheep of the family, anything which is supposed to be bad. Then why do you use the word? Why call yourselves black? I mean, you people are more brown than black. Why do you call yourselves white? You people are more pink than white. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> I laugh at that, Mr. Como. Do you want to to comment? Uh, but can I can I just quickly say something on the language? Please. Yes, yes, please. 
think I think was not was not be selective. Uh, we asked him about the language, and you are dressed in what the Western world gave us. Nobody questions why we wearing suits and shirts instead of loin clothes. Because today it is convenient for us to wear that kind of clothing. We're not going to be walking around, going to offices, mm. and going to us and those kind of things. But nobody talks about that. Mm-hmm. Now, English, I can tell you now. I'm not defending the language. It's a language that was brought to us by the oppressor, but it is unifying us. We are able to get to talk to each other and understand each other across the tribal lines. Uh, and I think, honestly, BBC and BCM was quite clear. You speak the language spoken by the majority in your area, but English would be the language that we speak when we go to congresses and everywhere else. And I don't think that affects what the new South Africa is going. It is the means of communication that we have taken over. Listen to, to Don Matera. Listen to Linda Wemabuza. How they have turned this language, that came with the white people and made it our own. Mafiga Kuala steps with this language. But, but then the having English said that, Mr. Nkomo, having said that, are you saying to me there's part of colonialism uh, that you comfortably retained for the purposes of advancing your cause? But, but, but we are dressed in their, in their clothes. You, did we have the suits that we're wearing today before they came? Did we? We didn't have them. Mm. But we couldn't walk around in them. We had the imbata that today we've got boots that keep us warm in winter and lovely moccasin shoes that keep us comfortable. And nobody says these were Western things. Let's throw them away okay. and go back to yes. our own. And, and can I just remind in Grand Quay yes. that, that our, one of our uh, fellow comrades in Robben Island used to be thrown into single cells all the time. Zwane used to say, and that's exactly what we have to do. Use the means most appropriate for us. Okay. Uh, we have voice notes. Uh, a lot of people want, want to engage you. Uh, I hope you've got pens so that you can note what they're saying and then you can comment afterwards. Let's hear what they have to say. Good day, KG. Good day, SAFM listeners. I'd like to comment. This is Ernest Williams calling you from Street Crew 92. I'd like to comment on the black consciousness movement or whatever. However, and the black consciousness where we are right now, the, we can only rely on history. And when we go right back down or we go back into history, as we're going back now, we would project 447. The further we go back into that project 447, we get deluded with the information, with the truth. So it leaves us starting fresh with Fazila on Project 447. That is where what I feel. Never mind the languages, it's the mission, the truth. That's the only language we want to hear about, is the truth. That's the real language. Hi, this is Samora in Cape Town. I totally agree with your guest who says uh, about those children who were murdered that if they were white, it would still be a big part of the news cycle. For instance, the most famous kidnapped victim in South Africa is Lee Matthews, yet there are more black people who get kidnapped every year. You know, our white victims have a name. Even Alison, the one whose throat was slit, everyone knows a white victim, especially when it's a white woman. 
because it's something that gets the top billing in uh, the news cycle. Whereas crime happens mostly to black people, black women especially. But you won't see them having a name or profile like Lee Matthews. Morning, Tolani here from Durban. I think it's ironic that uh, Mr. Steve Biko is uh, speaking about uh, the, abomination, the abomination of white supremacy all in the while he's speaking in English. Uh, I'm just trying to throw a spanner in the works here, but I think people like um, Nelson Mandela, Jacob Zuma, and uh, everyone else who, who fought for our freedom really missed a trick uh, with regards to uh, how we view ourselves as black people. Uh, if I was Mr. Mandela when when uh, I was freed from prison, I would have I would have uh, no longer uh, gone by the name of Nelson. I would have gone by my closer name, and uh, in fact, maybe even take it as far as to refuse to speak English and only speak uh, closer in interviews and so forth. Uh, but yeah. Fantastic voice notes. Uh, there's also uh, some uh, messages. I'm reading them. Uh, the first one reads, question, our politicians and presidents know about our history, but why don't they do anything for us? Why are we still being led by the same system? Quintes in Kaveja, another one. Hi, KG and your guests. I think the language of English is not an issue in defining black consciousness. Even the clip you played there by Steve Biko, he addresses... Uh, uh, people in English. The matter should be how, as a person, we view ourselves against the so-called, and they put it in quotes, white supremacy. It's Ron in... Um Where are you, Ron? Ron in Bloemfontein. Uh, one of the voice notes, uh, Prof, uh, said something interesting. Uh, uh, says, you know, uh, the the issue of black consciousness or other races or whatever. Uh, you know, it's almost uh, the othering of uh, the black consciousness role. I want you to comment on that and I want mm-hmm. you to comment on all of the voice notes that we've played up to now as we round off. And hopefully as you comment, you also tell me the role of black consciousness today as we're having this conversation as we are two or three days before the 29th uh, commemoration and or celebration of uh, democracy in South Africa. Let's start with you, Prof. Okay, the psyche of this country, and if you take out the white part, the psyche of black South Africa, uh, in its 29th year, of democracy remains blighted by the mental subjugation of white as the aspirational standard connoting excellence, superiority, and the epitome of desirability in all spheres of life, except the narrow political, there is a subordination of black in this country, despite the majority demographic. There's an insidious resurrection of non-whites to describe ourselves, and in that lies the attempt to divide and continue the shenanigans that we see around us, the chaos, and a patently inferior name intended to diminish and to declare us a feat Mm -hmm. so that we can fight about little crumbs 
yeah. under the table and so on. Instead of the bigger prize, that bigger prize is to claim our true humanity. When that is achieved, there's no need to talk of black, white, and whatever. Because we are all human beings made of the same ingredients. Yeah. External appearances and certain other ethnic and cultural artifacts tend to impinge on us and create the differences. Those differences are artificial. Our humanity is one. As yeah. Sobokwe said in 1959, there, is, there are no races. There is one human race. Your last thoughts, uh, Mr. Nkwenkwe, and when is the book going to be published, by the way, Mr. Nkomo? Uh, I'm, 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 I'm hoping that we'll be getting the proof copy sometime this week, and I will let you know. Okay, thank you. So your last mm-hmm. thoughts, Black Consciousness well, Today. Black Consciousness is alive, my dear. It's not like a cloth that you put on or a jacket that you put on and you take out. Mm. Uh, it's a way of life. Uh, the fact that we might not be seeing movement at a bigger level in terms of coordination, but all of us, all of us who were brought up under that, who grew up under that, live our lives like that. Yeah. I'm not going to be using myself as an example, but I got into a wide advertising industry. When I left the industry, the industry had transformed. I can say without doubt, my company, through my initiative, with the leadership I had at FCV, even before I became a, a chairman, started the training program that brought in young black people. I didn't have to stand and scream, I'm doing black consciousness as if they would have done it. Yeah. Even today, I yeah. still work. So stay, stay in touch with us, work. Mr. Ngomo, when the book is out, so that because there's many people who wrote to us asking when's the book coming out, when's the book coming out, so that we can let them know. Thank you for uh, for your time, the both of you, for your thoughts. Uh, Professor Seth Cooper and uh, Mr. Ngwengwe Ngomo, both of them, uh, you know, activists, uh, both of them uh, part of the 1970s group of activists, both of them friends of Stephen Bantubiko, 1101, and Musa standing by with the news.